Being Black in America comes with its challenges. However, we understand that enlightenment through education is the oppressor's worst fear. By bridging the gap between academia and the people, our purpose is to equip you with knowledge that breaks down barriers during your journey towards truth and freedom. Welcome to the Black and Highly Dangerous Podcast. Yo, yo, Dad, what's up? What's up? Nothing much. Um, I am currently on my On the Run tour. Um, <laughs> you probably haven't heard about that, huh? The About what, the Beyonce tour? Well, yeah, that's kind of it. But John and I, because he finally finished with residency and he took his board exam, so he has at least another year before he has to take another exam. So now that he has his newfound freedom, we have created our own on the run tour. And we're going from city to city, just having a good time. And so this is the first leg of the tour. We're in Chicago right now. Oh, nice. Yes. <laughs> and so we're going to try to continue this thing. So be on the lookout for that Facebook album. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool always when you get to like do make a list and make do something and, and follow through and have some fun and celebrate and relax after all the hard work you you know you guys put through and is going through school and all that stuff so that's good that's what's yeah. up i just have to say we're gonna have to be careful of airbnbs because you know if you're doing a lot of traveling you know you can't I mean, it can get pricey to stay at hotels all the time. So we got this Airbnb in Chicago. And when we walked into the room, we were like, we couldn't tell whether it had been cleaned or not. Because one of the first things we see is some panties underneath the bed. Dirty oh, panties under the no. bed. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I had to hit you with a old Lord Again. early on that one. <laughs> yes, needless to say, we booked a hotel that's within two hours of checking in. We checked out at Airbnb and went to a hotel. It was like, hell no. Yeah, no, that's too much. That people come on, people. If you gotta have your hair being bees, make sure you clean up. That's nasty. Don't see nobody dirty jaws when you try to rest your head somewhere. Right, right. We think she just was in a rush. You know, she probably put everything in like a closet or something and left that. But it was just like, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, I'm not staying here. I ain't no telling what else you can clean. Yeah, yeah, nah, that's not good. Not a good look. I'm sure you'll be leaving a nice review. I would. Yeah. <laughs> what's been going on with you uh nothing much you know um uh went to uh last night i went to the uh to kristen to a a wild the wild and out live show tour when they canned them and surprisingly that joint was really good it was funny it was really funny (laughs) yeah yeah it was really good i had a, a good time so those of you ever think about checking that out i think if you had the opportunity check it out it was really really funny um, and I would suggest so, also do do not take do not take your white friend. <laughs> oh Lord, whatever. Oh man, they just—I mean, the whole time they was just going in, man. It was just like you know, holding no punches back. I mean, even talking about politics, why they vote for Trump and all that kind of stuff is just—it was funny. It was funny. It's definitely centered for a black audience. I'll say that. Um, so it was a good time, though. I was laughing the whole time. Uh, but other than that, I start classes this week, too. Yeah. Yeah, and I start research this week. That's the, stop, the first stop on my research tour. Uh, I fly out Tuesday to go do some research. Uh-oh. Okay, yep, yeah, and that's my first day of classes. So all our listeners, you know, give, uh, I'll put up some prayers for me and Daphne. <laughs> we As need we, it. Summer's over time for us to get busy, so... Yeah, definitely give us your your positive energy and vibes for sure. It went by so fast. Where did um, it go? Oh my Where goodness! It <laughs> flew by. <laughs> flew by. Uh, I'm already looking forward to winter break. But all right, how you got ready for some old Lord news? We are. We are. All right, let's go. Hello, and welcome to BHD News, where we give you the most current and eye-opening old Lord news of the week. Join us as we present news that'll make you want to say. Okay, so we know um, that Senator John McCain just passed away. 
correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. con- condolences to his family. Yes. Well, a Republican lawmaker who was launching a campaign uh, for senator, <laughs> her name is uh, Kelly Ward, she actually suggested Friday that Senator John McCain's family issued this, you know, the statement about him discontinuing treatment, you know, because he was about to pass away. She said that they did that to overshadow her campaign because they knew she was about to hit the road. Oh my goodness, come on. Come on, man. People are so just like disrespectful sometimes. Like you think his his family gonna pull the plug because they care about your little campaign. Right. I mean, he's actually a sitting U.S. senator. Like, this is of interest to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, his condition was going on. Baby, it wasn't about you. Like, you were probably the last thing on their mind, considering that he passed within 24 hours of them releasing a statement. Like, you were the last of their words. The last thing the family worried about, your campaign. Oh, I was about to hit the trail. Let's uh pull the plug now. That's so disrespectful, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so have you ever have you ever donated to a GoFundMe? Uh, yeah, one time for a student. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I just gotta say, you gotta be careful because. In the news, you know, we've been seeing all these feel-good stories about how, like, you know, these selfless people are starting GoFundMe accounts for, like, homeless people or, like, you know, all of these things. Well, come to find out, one couple who I think even was on, like, Good Morning America or something like that because they decided to start a GoFundMe for a homeless man who gave uh, the woman money in time of need. She was stranded or something like that, and he gave his last $20. They were trying to raise $10,000 for him, but ended up raising $400,000. But the man just reported that he ain't seen a dime of that money. What? Yes. And not only that, so all of a sudden she went from like driving a hoopty, now she driving a BMW. They taking Vegas vacations. And so they were supposed to use the money to buy the man a home. What they did was buy, bought him a, like a, a camper or like a trailer. Oh. They, they put it in their name and then put it on their their family's property. So nothing that they did for the man was in his name. And they're like holding the money hostage. They say it's because he's an addict. But baby, didn't you know he was an addict when he, you know, when you first decided to like raise money for you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's messed up, man. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think people will do things in good faith and do it the right way. But making all that money and you know, tugging on people's heartstrings to get the money, you know, people are giving and you, you're using it and abusing it in that way. Like, really, did you need yeah. a new car, a BMW? No, that's crazy. I mean, $400,000 ain't no chump change. The homeless man said that he thinks they started with good intentions, but when you, like, end up raising that much money and you don't even have that much money, mm-hmm. you know, it starts getting, you start getting greedy. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just be careful with these campaigns because, you know, people don't, aren't always using these funds like they're supposed to. GoFundMe should, like, maybe do it to, like, where you, once you set your limit and you hit it, that's it. <laughs> can't get no more funds you know yeah maybe yeah it's kind of like at ten thousand dollars if that's what you're trying to raise it's a cutoff because some of these things can really be yeah because i think if they would have stopped at that cutoff it would have been good and helped the man out and that's fine that's good but you're getting half a million dollars almost <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah your eyes start getting big like uh-oh what can i do with this mm-hmm. Like, dang, we gonna let this homeless man have more money in his bank account than us? Yeah, That's probably yeah. what Yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh, man, okay. Okay, so this last story, you know, Omarosa been coming out with mixtapes of like, uh, you know, people saying crazy things in the White House. Well, this Georgia former school district employee came out with her own secret tapes of the superintendent of Buford uh, County Schools, like, essentially, like, dropping so many end bombs that it is, is ridiculous. So the white superintendent was recorded in like multiple racist rants. So what he was upset about is that like the attempt agency kept sending him black people. And so he said things like, how much are they charging um, us for? Can you show me our general conditions? How many of these damn deadbeat 
N-I-G-G-E-R's, mm. you know, are they sending us? You know, he also said, um, he was repeating after someone, they said they're from a temp service. So I guess you have to, you got more of these big N words than from one of the other temp agencies. Mm, 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 mm. And he was like, um, he was complaining about one. He was like, um, one, he called one of them a deadbeat N-I-G-G-E-R on his cell phone. Mm, 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 and so this came out because this superintendent actually fired this employee. Um, he had once told her, like she asked him a question. He was like, don't ever talk to me. Like, this is your last time. Like, don't ever address me. And so at first she wasn't even going to like sue them for being fired. But once these secret recordings came out, she realized that it was her duty to, you know, potentially sue them or speak out because this is a racist superintendent. Mm -hmm. Like he sets the tone for the entire school district. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Oh my goodness. And it also makes you think about all the policies that controlled dealing around black students just because of how he feels about it, you know, as far as resources and opportunities and, um, and all, uh, how long he's been superintendent, how long the damage he's done to people of color, students of color. That's so sad. That's crazy. Yes. And you know, I'm not directly hitting on this, but I am in the future interested in understanding, like how do educators personal beliefs inform the type of policies that they are implementing Mm -hmm. and like, what type of impacts do we have on like our black and brown children? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's definitely gonna it's definitely gonna influence policy. It's definitely gonna influence whatever you know how they feel and and what their beliefs are, just their understandings of certain groups of folk and and, and people. Oh man, that's yeah, it's a scary thing. I, mean, I feel like people who are leaders in those positions need to be very well versed in understanding and anything dealing with diversity for sure. Mm-hmm. And one thing I do want to put a note, so like. Recording people like Omarosa, you know, she might have people want to record and like, you know, trap people and stuff like this. But I'm going to say, everybody, pay attention to your state laws. Some states, you know, it's a one party recording state, Mm -hmm. meaning as long as you know, the other person, you know, doesn't have to give permission for you to record them. Mm -hmm. But that's not the case in every state. And you could get into big trouble for recording people without their knowledge. So check your state laws before you, you know, attempt to like, you know, expose people or expose somebody um, because you don't want to catch a case, you know, trying to build a case against somebody Mm -hmm. else. So Check that yeah, out. No, that's very important. That's very important. I think, and and <clears throat> yeah, that's good to get a good advice because you don't want people going out there record recording and getting into trouble, you know, figuring that stuff out. And there's another um, story. I don't know if you heard uh, about what the French Open was doing. Oh my god! Yes. man. There's yes. something that's really getting under my skin, man. <laughs> like, I feel like they are really coming at Serena. For those of you who don't know. The last French Open, Serena wore kind of like this cat suit. It was like an all black, you know, full length um, suit, athletic suit, um, re- really to raise awareness with women who have issues uh, giving birth and stuff like that. Like she did. And it was really a compression suit to help with like blood clots and stuff like that or reduce them because that's the issue she had when she was pregnant. And all of a sudden, this past week, the French Open created a new dress code, um, you know, because they felt that the last French Open, the women were dressed a little bit too too much they said are provocative and the president of the French Open ex- explicitly singled out Serena's outfit and said that would no longer be acceptable at the French Open um, which I just find extremely problematic you know in a lot of different ways one I feel like if you're going to change dress code fine but the fact that you singled out Serena's outfit in particular means that you know there was a lot of discussion and bias behind that your that decision um mm-hmm. They are really threatened by this black woman dominating for so long. Mm-hmm. Like they are threatened, and they are threatened by her body. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like the bodies of black women are like policed, like from like such a young age, mm-hmm. and continues to be policed in like professional careers. People who are at the top of their careers, like we shouldn't have to, you know, deal with this. And like you said, not only was it raising awareness, but it was actually 
helpful for her medical condition, mm-hmm. her documented medical mm-hmm. condition. Yeah, it wasn't like she was just like wearing it to try to be provocative. It's like she needed that compression attire for her health. I know she has a beautiful body, but she was not trying to seduce. She, <laughs> she, she was trying to win tennis, you know. <laughs> so it's just so, and then, then she also not too long ago too put out a statement how she gets tested more than any other tennis player you know, um, blood tests and stuff like that for drugs and everything like that. They're always doing a random drug test on her way higher than everybody else. Um, so they're out to get her, man, they're out to try to catch her because they are really intimidated. Two more wins and she's the record. And I don't think people want to see a black woman at the top for the next few decades of tennis. And so right now, I really think they're trying to frustrate her and get under her skin. I'm glad Nike released a statement, you know, saying that they don't support that decision and, and, they're behind some reason. Oh, that's so Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what's so nice. that. So that's a big, very big uh-huh. company that I'm sure the French Open doesn't want to irritate. And uh, yeah. that. so we'll see what happens. Yeah, but they ain't gonna catch my girl riding dirty. No, they, they not. They not. She been clean this long. She she clean, man. <laughs> she just better than all y'all. So stop being haters. Yeah, stop, <laughs> stop being, being haters. Man. And I, I don't know. And I feel like I don't know what Serena should do. I was thinking about this. You know, a part of me is like. It would be cool if she would just be like, all right, French Open, I ain't, you know, I ain't playing you. I ain't playing in y'all open no more. I'm playing all the other opens, won't play in y'all open. Because, I mean, really, she yes. brings a lot of publicity, yes. a lot of, like, money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or go ahead and win at the French Open, make a statement and say, okay, I'll never be back. <laughs> 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 and then that also would be good, like, leave at the top and be like, take that, and uh, y'all never see me again here. So I don't know. I, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure she'll still play and just use that as motivation to get get another championship under a notch. Um, but, yeah, we feel for you, Serena. So what do we have on deck this Today, week? this week, we have a very special guest. We have a guest by the name of Leroy Moore. Uh, he reached out to us a few weeks ago because uh, he's a... Um, a faithful listener of the podcast. And he's actually a really, really uh, awesome guy. Uh, what he does is he has, he's an activist who raises awareness on black disability issues. It's really interesting because for us, uh, for Daphne and I, one, we just really never thought of that as a topic. Um, so this is why it's always great. And we're really happy that our listeners are engaging with us and reaching out to us. Um, and um, so, yeah, so he he's stationed in California, in the Bay Area, and he's been doing this for a, p- a couple of decades. Um, he developed and is the founder of an organization called Crip Hop Nation, um, which, again, raises awareness on black disability issues, but also does things like spoken word, music, all this kind of stuff. He's been featured and given a lot of talks around the, um, schools around the country. Um, he's also developed an international organization that also uh, f- focuses on these issues of black disability issues, speaks out against police brutality against black people with black uh, people with disabilities and all the above. Um, so it was an awesome conversation, really informative. And I think uh, you guys will learn a lot from it, just like Daphne and I did. Um, he has a lot of resources and stuff like that that we'll post and that we'll share and discuss throughout the interview. Um, but, you know. It was really fun. It was really fun talking to Leroy, and uh, you know, we'll 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 definitely share everything that we'll, we'll definitely talk about everything post the interview too about what we learned from him, and and I'm sure you guys will learn a lot too. Absolutely. All right. So, so let's get yeah, started. let's get into it. All right. In the United States, more than 40 million Americans live with a disability. Comprising 25% of the adult population, the Black community has the highest prevalence of individuals with disabilities across all racial categories. Despite the size of the disabled population and the shocking reality that individuals with disabilities experience violent victimization at over twice the rate of individuals without disabilities, Discussions about ableism and violence against this population are seldom at the forefront of mainstream social justice movements or media coverage about injustices in the United States. Today, we hope to contribute to a much needed dialogue about disability issues by interviewing Leroy F. Moore Jr., an activist, writer, and poet who founded and co-founded multiple organizations geared toward raising awareness about the history, issue, talents, and rights of individuals with disabilities, such as Crip Hop Nation, Sins and Ballot, and the National Black Disability Coalition. During the conversation, we discuss disability issues from slavery to now and ways 
to increase awareness about issues and injustices facing individuals with disabilities. Welcome, Leroy F. Moore, Jr. Yeah, thank you for having me. You know, it's 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 very really that I'm a black media, you know, talk about black disability issues. So thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. So the way we just like to start our interviews, pretty casual, we just want to, you know, have our guests kind of tell our listeners about themselves. So introduce yourselves to our listeners, who you are and what you do and kind of how you got to doing what you're doing today. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm Leroy Franklin Moore Jr. You know, um, I belong to the largest we in the world, and that's talking about people with disabilities. Also being Black, you know, Black and Brown people with disabilities hold history, culture, arts, political movements all over the world. I believe in what the late Paul Robeson taught, that um experiences as a black disabled you know person are international like Malcolm X saw himself his thoughts in politics expand when he traveled outside the U.S. I know that black and brown people with disabilities have a lot to teach our communities locally nationally and um, globally I use my cultural activism to do just that and to add to building a solid platform for future black and brown disabled youth through my journalism with poor magazine, hip hop, poetry, through Crip Hop Nation and networking through the National Black Disability Coalition and been lecturing on college campuses for the last 21 years. So that's me in a nutshell. Nice. We appreciate your work. Um, We understand that one of your goals is to increase awareness on issues surrounding uh, Black Black individuals with disabilities. Um, Before we get into specifics about Black disability issues, can you share with our listeners um, unique experiences of Black individuals with disabilities compared to, for instance, white individuals? Like, how do those experiences differ? Yeah, thank you. You know, not only surviving under harsh treatment in this country, but switching it to groundbreaking events from a black slave that used her disability to free other slaves, and that was her Tubman, to black blind musicians being the forefathers of the blues, and sadly, black disabled people experiencing theft of their identity, like Jim Crow, an elder disabled man that got robbed of his name, identity, dancing, and singing by a white man who took it to, you know, stages to make money and appropriate the elder's culture and, and state violence, like the lynching of Emmett Tell, who had a speech disability, to today's police shootings, to school, to prison pipeline. Black disabled people help to entertain the community before TV with um, the medicine shows, freak shows, and of course, blues, music on street corners. Black disabled people never fully enjoyed the disability rights movement in their laws and organizations. That is one reason why black disabled people have the highest rate of unemployment and so on. Black disabled men and women have a high rate of sexual assaults. And I can go on and on. Oh yeah, so that's going to my next question, right? 
Oh, no, you're fine. Well, so one of your areas of expertise, like you said, focuses on the historical aspects of black disability issues from slavery until now. And I think it's always important before we talk about getting into more of the current issues dealing with black individuals with disabilities. Can you just share a little bit about the the history of it? Um, you know, like you said, you mentioned Harriet Tubman from slavery. Um and other stuff like that. Can so are there experiences, stories, and stuff like that that when we talk about the history of Black individuals with disabilities um, that people just may not know about, and that you would like to share? Well, you know, of course, under slavery, you know, the the main thing was the body. So you had to have a, you know a quote unquote healthy body. So a lot of Black disabled slaves were thrown overboard, you know, on those ships. So they. Mm-hmm. You need to make it to um, "quote unquote" America. Mm. You know, and you know, we're still living with the brainwash from white male "quote unquote" masters who view disability as something as negative, something to be hush hush and not seen. And it's still with us today in the black community. And one, and on the other hand, um, black disabled slaves gave us the early storytellers, aka battling, and what what we know today as hip hop. By the turn, the dozens, the, the dozens were um, slaves that were separated from others because they had a disability. And, you know, if you research the dozens, they started to do, um, you know, jokes about, you know, your mother is so fat and, you know, that, and that um, really, you know, set the platform for hip hop. So I, I say that, you know, um, Black Disabled Slaves started hip hop. Uh-huh. That's really cool. Uh, or the hip hop part, but not all of the other things you mentioned. Um, and I actually was not a- aware of those things. So I appreciate um, your knowledge about that. Recently, uh, state violence and police brutality on people of color, you know, it's gotten a lot of national attention. But one thing we don't hear much about is how state violence and police brutality specifically impacts Black uh, people with disabilities or the the Black disability community. Um, can you give some insight into how police, uh, how state violence has impacted the Black uh, disability community? Yeah, you know, state violence has always been upon Black disabled bodies, you know, from slavery, like I talked about, to fix those, to lynching you know, to today's police brutality. What is sad is the continuation of the erasure of disability from, you know, the New Lentine Museum in Alabama. You know, they they have, you know, of course, stories about lynching, but they don't talk about the disability part, like Emmett Tell and, you know, Jesse Washington that was lynched in 1918 and um, he had a disability. You know, and police brutality is, you know, I've been around this issue since the 80s. And, you know, so I see movements come and go, and I see movements don't talk about disability. Although, you know, the numbers of uh, police brutality cases against people with disabilities are 70% of all cases. So it's not only mental health disabilities, it's autism and other disabilities. So since the late 80s, the state has given us one answer, and that answer is police training. And this cycle goes around and around over every year. So, you know, what 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 I say is that it's not it's not about training and it goes deeper than um just this one issue. And I think um, a lot of um, police brutality movements and organizations need to really look at um, disability and disability justice 
And then you look at um, who's, you know, who's in the forefront of, of, of that movement. You know, if you're really down to stop police brutality, then I think you should really um, focus on people with disabilities, knowing that they make up 70% of all cases. I, I actually had not heard that statistic uh, before, and I appreciate you mentioning that. You mentioned Emmett Till. Were you referring to uh, what I've read in reports related to a potential uh, speech disability or impediment in terms of how that was potentially misinterpreted as um, disrespect toward um, the the white storekeeper? Is that what you're referring to? Yes. Matter of fact, um, his mother taught him how to um, how to deal with his stuttering. So his mother taught him how to whistle, and because he whistles to you know convince to um, stop his stuttering, that whistle turned into um, quote unquote dangerous, you know, toward the white baby. So it's really a good accommodation to his disability. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so that that tactic, that strategy he used to for his disability was actually taken as a sign of disrespect, and then later on, resulted in his death. And yeah, you're right. That's not discussed a lot when we talk. Even you know, people know the case of Emmett Till. People know the case of what happened. But they're definitely injustices, but it's it's very interesting how that detail is is not really highlighted or discussed as much as it should be um, and how it, it, it led to that situation. Yes, um, exactly. And it keeps on happening, you know, um, tell, like I said, um, Jim Crow, the elderly man that had a disability. So it keeps on happening from decade to decade to decade. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, a little question off script. Why, why do you think this is happening like this. You know, why do you think that black individuals disabilities are so much, I guess, kind of not discussed or pretty much invisible in a lot of these discussions when we, when we talk about these things? I think, I think it, it deals with um, ableism in, in the black community. You know, like I said, under slavery, you know, um, masters taught to, you know, black people, to hide their disability, it's always to be a hush hush thing. So mm-hmm. we, we still live with that today. So that that's there, you know, like I said, ableism is there. And especially with men, you know, we talk to, you know, overcome our, you know, um, deal with it on, on ourselves. And you really can't overcome um, an, an identity. It's like saying overcoming your blackness. It, it doesn't make sense. So, you know, what what I see it as disability is a culture. It's a it's a part of history. So we, we have to change that um thinking in the black community. And that's what um you know the National Black Disability Coalition is doing, Crip Hop is doing its music, so you know, there's there's avenues out there to to do that, but the the black community needs to hop on board. You know, from black media to the interviews, to even Black Lives Matter. Very true. Um, so you mentioned Crip Hop Nation, um, and again, you're founder of that. So can you tell our listeners what that is and why you feel like it is very much needed? especially in this day and age? So Crip Hop Nation is, a nas- is an international network of hip hop and other musicians with disabilities with um, a few chapters around the world, what we call NCs with disabilities. We have chapters in Germany, UK, around Africa, Spain, Italy. You know, wow. and Crip Hop is a community as well as a style of music and um artistic space where people with disabilities can speak out 
and feedback to the social structures that excludes people based on disability race, sexuality, and other identities. And the, the reason why Quip Hop is here, because musically, musicians with disabilities have always been here since the blues. However, there has been a lack of cultural activism, especially in hip hop, with a disability justice framework to not only advocate, but to continue to display the talents of musicians with disabilities and at the same time advocate and celebrate our histories and culture and political education of ourselves and our communities. So in, in thinking about you are, uh, again, an uh, activist, you are a professional, you have personal and professional experience within the realm of like advocating for the black disability community. Uh, what I would like to know is how can we all move forward with making these situations better? Like what can people who are in this advocacy community, as well as outside of the community, do to, one, be more sensitive, but also bring awareness to these issues? Are there any strategies or ideas for our listeners? Yeah, one, you can get in contact with SINS Invalid, that's S-I-N-S Invalid, and they do um, what's called disability justice. Matter of fact, they started the whole disability justice framework and, 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 and um, thinking. And Ascend and Valid um, is an organization that was started by myself and other people of color with disabilities that are straight, um, gay, um, transgender. And we start that because the Congo white disabled um, rights movement did not really include people of color, people that are trans, people that are gay and lesbian. So that, that, that's one, you know, area that people can go to. Sinsinvalid.org, you can go to their website and read about disability justice um, framework. Nice. We'll definitely um, check that out and make sure to post those links uh, for our listeners when we uh, publish this episode, because I think that'll be some really important information that we all should be looking at and, and at least resources. Um, is there anything that we didn't cover that you would, you would like to mention uh, and make sure that our listeners are very much aware of anything else you would like to share that we might've missed? Yeah, I would like to bring up the work of the National Black Disability Coalition. You know, they're the only national black disability um, organization. And, you know, their work is extraordinary. Jane Dunham does a lot of work, you know, around black families and um, people with disabilities. So I like to bring up their work. Um, I like to bring up also that Quip Hop Nation has been working in Africa. Matter of fact, we did a tour in South Africa um, this year, um, about two weeks ago, um, Congo Handicapped, and you know, it in the Congo, was here and we did talks around the Bay Area, what's going on in the Congo. Wow. So, so, so yeah, we do really, um, work internationally, and we're doing this all on what I call an SSI budget. So there's no grants, there's no funding, but we keep on doing the work. Mm. And, and also, I want, I want to leave um, with, you know, um, I'm putting out a hip hop graphic novel book coming out in February with Poor Magazine. Poor Magazine has um, a poor press, so I'm putting out, I think it's the first um, queer-pop graphic novel that tells the story of a, of a brown disabled um, young woman that has superpowers. And then she's trying to bring disability justice into hip-hop. Oh, wow. That's cool. 
That's really awesome. You know, I I actually do have one last uh, question or just kind of like, do you have any advice for our listeners around language that they should or should not use when thinking about or trying to speak about or advocate for uh, the black disability community? Yeah, thank you for asking that question because um, media really means to me. I just don't care at all. I'm I'm also a journalist, and I, I see a lot of mainstream journalism that just don't understand just way lingo at all. They're still using terms like handicap, and that's. Um, going back to the 1970s. So, um, yeah, using politically correct terms like, you know, people with disabilities, you know, um, or, you know, disabled people, um, you know, terms like that, you know, terms that we don't use is, you know, of course, you know, crippled, um, crazy, um, retarded, you know, um, the Black Eyed Peas um, hip-hop group got sued, you know, years ago when they released um, their first hit, Let's Get Retarded. So, you know, so, you know, hip-hop pushes back on that. You know, we pushed back when 50 Cent was bullying autistic people and did it three times. It's so it's so interesting. You know, he can he can be on TV, but he can also continue to bully you know disabled people. So you know, hip hop nation, you know, um, advocates on that. One um and that's important. I'm, that's a good, really good question, Dave. I'm glad you asked that because that is something that you know we should be cognizant of you know, with any groups of folk or communities is, is the appropriate way to to discuss and write and, and use the language, the correct language. Also, I kind of want to go back because you did mention um, about, you know, you guys have been expanding and have chapters all over the world in various different ways. Uh, but then the limited funding, uh, you said because of SSI. Can you talk a little bit more about that, um, it, that, that situation of why you uh, the, the the disabled community is more likely to be using on, on SSI and stuff like that because dealing with employment and, and finances? Yeah, um, you know, really, you know, with with, with myself, with Quip Hop Nation, I, 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 I did the nonprofit cycle for years. I worked in nonprofit. My father had a nonprofit. And because of that experience, I wanted Quipod to be outside of the, of the nonprofit um, game. So that that's why we, we don't take no grants and we try to do things ourselves. But on the biggest, on the bigger, um, you know, vision is that, you know, people with disabilities, you know, although we have the Americans with Disability Act, we still had the highest rate of unemployment. And with um, this so-called president, you know, that we're, you know, dealing with now, you know, he wants to cut even more services and, you know, cut sex and aid and, and all that. So because of that and because of if we, if people with disorders do get a nine to five, we lose our insurance and we, we lose a lot of, um, you know, support. So it makes, it's, it's, it's hard to, to, um, to get a nine to five because you lose so much. But I, I think also is that we have to change our vision and our um, definition of work. Because although I'm on SSI, I'm still working big time. You know, I travel the world. I lecture at colleges, universities. So we we, we have to change our our notion of work. Mm, very true. Very true. Mm. 
Thank you. And so we mentioned um, before the interview that you do a spoken word. So you're going to link us to that so that our listeners can get a um, get a taste of, you know, what you do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I can talk about the song now. I, 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 I will um, email you. The song is called SSI Dollars. And it, it's really a song about, you know, how we live on SSI Dollars and, you know, how we survive and how we, you know, continue to survive. So it's called SSI Dollars. It's, it's really, um, people really like it. Um, I take I take a hit on on the rapper Macklemore <laughs> because my, my last name is Moore, so I I take a hit on that too. So okay. yeah. Okay, nice. Yeah, we'll definitely link that up for our listeners to check out some of your creative pieces and and others as well. I think are linked to that album. Um, so uh, you know, where can people find you? Um, social media or websites and stuff like that. Yeah, you can you can find me at you know Quip Hop. That's a Quip. That's a K with a K. Quip Hop Nation dot com. Um, you can read my interviews. You know, I interviewed um, Kevin Powell. I interviewed DMC. So you can you know read those there. I also do a column on Poor Magazine called The Ellen and Chilling. You know, around police brutality. And I also write for um, the San Francisco Bay newspaper, one of the baddest black newspapers in the Bay Area. <laughs> nice. And uh, well, you, we want, oh. I was going to say, you do, um, I see that you do on speaking engagements and stuff too, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been on the college circuit for almost 20 years. You oh, know, nice. From Harvard to to UC Berkeley, to um, to universities in Canada, um, UK, yeah. Cool, cool. All right, good, because we, some of our, a few of our, good chunk of our listeners are in academic circuit too, so. I'm yeah, sure matter of fact, the, the National Black Disability Coalition, you know, has been trying to start what's called the Black Disability Studies. So we're, we're working on that too. Nice. Oh, that would be really awesome. Yeah. That would be yeah. really cool. Yeah, yeah. And I was about to say, I, I'm definitely going to be looking up all the things that you do, and we'll link some things because I'm trying to get like you. I'm trying to get on the circuit too. <laughs> my voice out there. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what's really awesome. And like we said, we'll link uh, your websites and some of the other websites you mentioned, such as the uh, National Black Disability Coalition, you know, Crip Hop, um, everything you mentioned. So, um, thank yeah. you. Yeah, no, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it, Leroy. Yeah, like I said, thank you for reaching out. You know, like I said, most black um, media have no clue around disability, and they don't even answer my emails. So, so thank you for for you know answering the email and having me on. No, yeah, thank you for definitely doing the work you're doing and raising awareness on this, and we definitely want to help and assist any ways we can to continue that 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 uh journey that you're on because mm-hmm. it's definitely needed for sure mm-hmm. oh. and this conversation mm-hmm. oh can, can i mention one one more thing yeah for sure okay we're quip hop nation is also doing next summer is going to be huge what well, we're doing is um african disabled musician on um, festival right here in the bay area so um, group of artists from the Congo, Uganda, South Africa, and um, a couple more will be in the Bay Area and next summer to do um, a festival. So it's going to be really, really hot. Oh, yeah. No, that sounds cool. That sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, we'll definitely put that information, too, on our on the post when we publish this. Thank sure. you. Mm-hmm, no problem. Um, so, yeah, thanks again. And uh, for all our listeners, we'll, like we said throughout this interview, we'll post all the information that we received and resources and links and all that kind of stuff 
uh, on the blog post. So make sure you check it out. You listen to this interview, you pass this along, you share it because it is a topic that we all need to do a better job at raising awareness of and continuing this conversation. So make sure you do your part by not just listening, not just clicking on the links, but sharing it with everybody that you know as well. And also for the academics, if you are responsible for colloquiums and bringing people to campus, hit up Leroy. Mm-hmm. For sure. Definitely. Can't say you don't you don't know about this topic now. You can't say you don't know anybody that could come speak about it. So now it's time to do that, your part. All right. Thanks again, Leroy. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Dad. First, thank Leroy Moore for for joining us and having a really good conversation. Um, so, what are you what are your thoughts about the conversation and the interview? I feel like as he was talking, I just started to realize more and more how woke us woke folk we talk about so many things that impact you know people from marginalized communities. But I feel like the issues that we focus on are like, I feel like they are the more convenient issues that maybe impact, you know, us personally because we're black people or because we're women. But when we think about people, other people in the black community that might be marginalized in ways that we have not considered, we often don't take up those causes or even think about them as causes. And so in thinking about that, I am so happy that uh, Leroy reached out to us because now like my mind is like really working like, wow, I want to have conversations with parents of children who have disabilities Mm -hmm. to see like, how do we handle this? Like, how do we think about this? Um, And it's like now my mind is really working and it's something that I hadn't thought about until somebody reached out to say, hey, we need to have a conversation about this. And Mm -hmm. I like to see that more, like not just with the like black uh, disability community, but the black LGBT community, the black trans community, like whatever these communities that don't often get a voice about the issues that they face that are just as important as the issues that we like to talk about all the dang on time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you, I'm also thinking, right, when he raised, you know, talking about criminal justice system and disability issues, right? And and I feel like that, that's important, right? We, when we talk about it generally from, from, like you said, I think aspects that we are more comfortable with is more convenient. Um, but then, yeah, digging deeper and looking at, the implications and the experiences of those with disability issues involved in the criminal justice system involved with state violence and police brutality. Um, and it probably is more drastic and, you know, extreme, like you said, high rates of sexual assault and all that kind of stuff as well. Uh, and it's just, yeah. And it kind of, um, one, like you said, I, to think, you know, we, I've, you know, you and I and, and others, you know, we feel like we are trying the best we can to be aware and to be woke. Um, but at the same time, it's like you still don't, we still don't know everything, right? And there's still people who are still severely marginalized that are overlooked, even amongst the pe- the communities of people and folk who are trying to raise awareness and do the right thing. So I'm really glad he reached out to us. But I'm also really sad that, you know, even in the interview he said, and also off, off the interview that he he's reached out to a lot of people and a lot of people don't respond back, you know, um, to, to his emails. And, and that, that's kind of upsetting in a lot of ways too, uh, because it's an important topic and why wouldn't you reach out and, and highlight and raise awareness on this, um, kind of issue, kind of frustrating too. Um, but I do want to talk about one of the things, uh, I think it's important that I, that I got from the interview that I think is important to, to, to draw the connections to, um, and which really stood out to me was kind of the historical connections, um, you know, yeah, like we just said, looking at black individuals with disabilities, uh, how they're not really a part of the conversation, overlooked and already extremely marginalized in a lot of ways, kind of also looking at the history of that as far as why is that the case? I mean, you know, what he said, oh, during the journey over from Africa, black individuals with disabilities were getting thrown off the shit because of their disabilities, not even making it to the States. Right. So that's, that's deep in a lot of ways. And then having a disability when you are here and you are a slave, the black families were making sure and pushing 
the individual with disabilities to hide the disabilities as best they can. Because if they were caught by the master, if they are caught by whomever, that could be their life, right? And and they can lose them. Um, and so how that plays a role in today as far as why we may exhibit and continue to do those same patterns of hiding people with disabilities or not speaking on about it or not addressing it uh, because of what stemmed from the historical oppressive nature of slavery um, and how we had to react and be and teach each other and, and have our families during that time period and have that kind of generational knowledge has passed down. And now we're to the point where we have to kind of fight against that because we do have to raise awareness. We do have to talk about it. We do have to see it uh, so that way we can make changes and recognize that there are a lot of people within our own community that are experiencing this and we should be there to help. Right? And we can only help if we see it, if we know about it, if we talk about it, and then we do something about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and that was actually during the interview, because you mentioned like uh, criminal justice um, and how that and he also mentioned how the you know state violence impacts uh, individuals with disabilities. And it actually reminded me of how, like, at least within the last two years, and I just researched it, how uh, police officers and state troopers in different states have actually shot and killed um deaf individuals mm. because they didn't, you know, they're not hearing commands. Like one guy was stepping out of his car, you know, was using sign language and the police, you know, shot. So it's kind of like, there is actually a lot of work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember these stories like on the back of my head, but yeah, it's not something that like has received a lot of attention. It has it. The only time I can really think of, um, it was maybe a couple years ago, uh, where a there was a black male and his aide. I think he had a mental disability, and he yeah. was like he mm-hmm. was sitting on a street, what have you. Um, and the police officer came, was telling him he needed to move. The aide was right there with him, saying, "Hey, he has a mental disability. I'm the aide. We're going to get him to move." He was laying on the ground. The aide was um, hands up, saying, "I don't, you know, I have a gun." Everything, and the police officer still. Shot the, the aide. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that. I remember Fortunately, that. he survived and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, ha- yeah, law enforcement definitely has to be more um, learn how to deal with people with uh, mental illnesses. Oh, and there was another case not too long ago with a guy who had the pipe. Yeah, yeah, in New yeah, York. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and you know everybody in the community, the local neighborhood knew that you know he wasn't uh, he had a mental disability and wasn't really too alarmed. But the police came in and you know they wind up shooting and killing him, I believe, because uh, uh, they thought it was a gun. Uh, but it's just you know understanding uh, these issues and stuff like that is really needs to be more addressed. And and I think definitely law enforcement, everybody should for sure, but have more training on these kind of things and understandings of. Of, of it for sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of like other conversations we've had, the first step is to get informed, get mm-hmm. informed about the issue, get informed about the language mm-hmm. that is and is not appropriate. And, you know, everything is not a joke. You know, everything isn't up for, you know, debate. Like, respect people in terms of how you address them, in terms of, just who they are as people. And um, yeah, I just, I just think this is, this is the start of a few conversations about this topic. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Just the beginning. Um, you know, Daphne and I are definitely are more aware now. Uh, thanks to Leroy for joining us and talking about this and raising our awareness on this and, and being willing to come and have a conversation about this issue to share with all of you, our listeners. Um, and we're definitely going to look, be on the lookout for more opportunities to do this, to continue this conversation and speak to more folk who are um, doing a lot of work in this realm and in this area. Uh, but other than that, continue to follow us on social media at BHD Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Email us, email us, email us at bhdpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, be like our- Leroy. He emailed yes. us. Be like, like Leroy, e- email us and we will respond. We will get you on. We'll have conversations with you. Um, so we're, that's what we do. And this is what we're for. Um, 
And also go to the website, www.blackandhollydangerous.com to see all our episodes, all our posts. Everything we do is always posted on there to keep you up to date. Uh, Continue to rate and review us on iTunes. It's very important. You know, these podcasts is free. We put this out every week for you all. All we're asking you to do is one simple thing. Just rate and review. Take 10 seconds out of your day. Go ahead, put that five-star rating, put that great review, and that'll mean a lot to us. Um, And on top of that, while you're at it, continue to share us. Share us with your friends, share us with your family, share us with your enemies. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear. If you're interested in continuing this and other conversations, visit our website, blackandhollydangerous.com to subscribe to our email list, suggest topics, and participate in our discussion forums. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BHD Podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite platform. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear.